At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome to Death Do Us Part Podcast, hosted by my wife, Jamie. Hello. And myself, Mark. What up? Hey. Hey. So, um, what the fuck was I going to say to you? I'm awesome. No, not that. I'm the coolest? I legit, like, had, I don't fucking, I don't know. Whatever. Okay. It's been a dumpster fire week. So, yeah. yeah. Our house got TP'd three times last night. And I got to tell you, these fucking kids are terrible at it. Yeah. That was, there's like full rolls of toilet paper out there. Yeah, it was pretty bush league. There, there's no, there's no commitment. No, no, it was terrible. The dog scared them at first. Oh, they scared the shit out of them, yeah. which was great. But yeah, no, they're they're awful at it. Yeah, it wasn't a good job. No, three times and, and it still wasn't a good job. Now we have more toilet paper for the pandemic. Yeah, because there's full rolls out there. Yeah, yeah. Jack's brought in this one right here. <laughs> This morning, he threw, like, a wad into the neighbor's yard and got in the car and was like, go, 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 go. (laughs) (laughs) Honey, nobody lives there. (laughs) But poor Alex, he's got it, like, in his backyard and stuff. Blowing from our yard? Uh, No, I think they just, they threw it, like, in his yard, too. Like, shitty? Yeah. Well, Leah can clean that up, too. Yes. So. Yeah, so it's homecoming week. And I guess that's the thing for high school. I'm sorry, the Pravi people didn't do it. No, I, we I, did. I don't remember it. We did, but we were fucking good at it. Like, yeah, we're. You know what though? At least they didn't fork us. That's the new thing. The fuck is fork? They stick plastic forks in your front yard, so when you go to get the toilet paper, you're like snapping plastic forks. Oh, that's pretty cool. Or mashed potatoes, because when it mixes with like the dew in the morning, yeah. and, and there's no fucking way to get it out. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. pretty cool. Mm-hmm. That's good, thank you. I would have been pissed about that. Yeah, but no, it was just like one tree got hit. Yeah, and there's there's no commitment. The chair that I sit outside in got mm-hmm. hit. After they threw the roll of toilet paper at the fucking door. Right. <laughs> Dumbasses. Oh, 
whatever. Some very nice lady did come knock on our door, though, to tell us yeah. that our house had been teepeed. <laughs> right. Yeah. And Leah's like, oh, it's my friends. Yeah, we know. We know who did it. It was our friends. Yeah. But whatever. Oh, my God. But yeah, she's going to have to clean that shit up. Oh, yeah. I like, hope she did soon. a fucking better job than they did. I hope she did. Because that was crap. It is. Yeah. But... Yeah, she'll be cleaning tomorrow. Fucking amateurs. Mm Mm-hmm. So. She'll be cleaning before the dance, before she gets ready. We should make her clean in her dress. Oh, my God, that would be great. She would fucking hate us. Oh, that would be fucking great. Yeah, she would hate us. I mean, all the more reason. (laughs) Right. But. (laughs) So. Oh, yeah, that would be cool. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, how was your day other than that? Oh, it's a dumpster fire. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, good talk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good talk. I don't think I could say why. Because, yeah. Talk about it after? Yeah. Oh, okay. No, it's it's nothing. Nothing huge. Oh, okay. Just bullshit. The huge? Yeah, people are stupid. Well, yeah. Like, yeah. okay, so I apologize to people who are younger than fucking 35 who listen to this, but who ties your fucking shoes for you in the morning? Like, <laughs> I, d- I don't get it. I Decisions are being made, and I have to stop and, like, tap my third eye and be like, what part of you made you, like, what part made you think this was a good fucking idea? Yeah. Well, I, don't, I, I, yeah. I don't get it. I was going to say something that they do, too, but I, I'm not going to put it on the air. Mm-hmm. That, like, we've discussed, like, that they do, that they think is cool. What? With social media oh. and stuff. Oh, my God. Like, wh- what the fuck are you doing? Uh, babe, I'm telling you. The, who ties your shoes? Where is your mother? That's what I want right, to know. Where right. is your mother? Because she, she didn't do a good job. Where is your mother? <laughs> I Oh, my God. It kills me. Yeah. Ugh, so that all with that yeah. too with our new rookies and stuff. It's just God, a whole different generation. It is. It's and a like whole the worth, different. Their work ethic. There is it, no work ethic yeah. anymore. There isn't. It's give me, give me, give me. Like I, I remember like we were cr- like our guys. We were crazy about like taking up overtime and eating it up Ugh. and saving money and like these kids like f- forced overtime. Oh my god. This is fucking. Oh, terrible. this is fucking ah. bullshit. Yeah. Dude, what? Yeah. And then you have what? adults who are getting a hold of me, Carissa. Can you tell me how many hours I have? Like every other day, because <laughs> she has a set goal and she yeah. knows what she has to hit. Right. But yeah, it's it's gimme, 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 and they can't. I yeah. can't fucking see with these sunglasses on. You looked cool. I love so. these sunglasses. I do. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's there's just, certain it's things different. that are part of your job that it, it's a it's a part of your job. Yeah. I shouldn't have to ask you to do a part of your job. And the thing is, most of it is common sense. That's, that is lacking. Yes. Yes. There is none. Mm -mm. Yeah, I'm aware. None. I'm aware. Well, um, I I was all fucked up today. I woke up at three. Oh, I fucking hate you. Okay, so. I'm sorry. I, I, I don't know what happened. I had a fucking night terror. I woke up at three and I tried to ke- let you sleep, but then at oh like, in the morning, yeah. I thought you meant the afternoon. <clears throat> no, but I did take a nap, but it yeah. fucked me up even more. Yeah. 
So I was just all off today. I don't know if it's because like I'm starting to work out again. But you're you were a dick about it because so Mark learned what Zello is. It's the like chirp app, you know, like Which like an old amazing. Nextel. So it fucking chirps mm-hmm. me, and all he says is, "I just woke up from a nap." <laughs> what the fuck? Like, I just thought you should know. Awesome. I, I was hoping you were going to be in a meet, meeting because I was going to be like, hey, my balls itch. <laughs> oh, yeah, because everybody at work has never heard that out of you. Okay. Uh, Nobody would be surprised, and I can't imagine the comments that would come back to you. But, yeah, it was crazy. I woke up at 3. You guys were sound asleep. You were, like, scrunched up next to me. So, like, no offense, but I was a little uncomfortable. I have no room. I know. <laughs> I don't care how uncomfortable you are. I couldn't fall back asleep. So then at like 4.30, I think I asked for my medicine. You did, yeah. And then I tried going back to sleep, but then... Like 45 minutes later. Yeah, yeah, but then this morning at like 8, I made breakfast. And then like I just, I felt dizzy. I felt off. So I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to lay down. And I, I couldn't sleep again. But I finally, I think I got like a good solid hour. But then I woke up and like I was even more fucked up. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe it's just a bad day. Yeah. Well, like, the weather's changing, too. You gotta remember that. The seasons are changing. Yeah. So, isn't that a song? I don't know. Wonderwall? Dude, is that not the best (laughs) fucking song ever? I'm sorry. I don't care who the fuck you are. I know. It's amazing. It is. And if you don't know the song, you probably listen to fucking Nickelback. Oh, God. Everyone knows that song. It's terrible. So, we have merch... Yes, we I don't do. know if we've mentioned this on a regular no, I episode. Think just to our Patreons, so they had first dibs. If you go on the Patreon page, you don't have to be a member, and you can view the merch that we have. We have pens, we have magnets, we have stickers. Um, Shirts are coming. They're yes. taking a little while to being, but they're to coming. Be made, yeah. As soon as they come out, we'll let you know. But yeah, the first round is of shit. Merch, not shit merch. The the first round of stuff. <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah, is, um, buy our garbage. Yeah, is going out tonight. So, but yeah. if if you are interested, you can go on the Patreon page. You don't have to be a member, and you can still check the shit out. Which is what's our Patreon page? I can't remember. Um, Patreon.com forward slash death or uh, DDUP podcast one. No, I think it's death do us part one. Maybe it's death do us part one. Yeah. Try try one. Figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, because I don't remember. But, yeah, you should be able to view. And it's pretty cool. The pens are fucking awesome. They they are. Yeah. The pens are badass. I'm not so, going to lie. And then we got stickers and magnets. Yeah. And the pens are um, refillable, too. So. Yeah. But everybody's wanting a poop shoe t-shirt. They're coming. They're coming. Um. So, because we have to mention Tony and every episode yeah uh first of all he was imitating you today so he could take your place was it good uh yeah it was pretty fucking spot on i'm not gonna lie um <laughs> but then somehow we got on the subject of urban dictionary and i was like i looked up like i heard a word and then i looked it up and i'm like if i'm fucking appalled like it's a problem remember we were gonna do yeah. this like- well the new kid looked at me and he's like is it this and he said the word and i was like how did you fucking know that out of all the words on Urban Dictionary? And he's like, because it's, it's bad. What so is it? Tony looked it up. Yeah. Oh, my God. I thought he was going to piss his pants. What is it? I'm No, I'm not. No, I can't. All right. I can't. Tell me later. It's bad. 
It's so bad. Do you want to look it up while we're talking? Yeah. Get on Urban Dictionary. Yeah, but when you can pick out the fucking word, just because I say that I'm appalled, then I'm not appalled by fucking anything. All right. So, all right, are you on the site? Uh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Fletching. Oh, I think I know this. Everybody look it up now at the same time. Everybody's Googling this shit right now. Don't read it out loud. It's awful. <laughs> Don't read it out loud. Oh, I'm loud. sorry. <laughs> that's pretty repulsive. I'm t- see, this is what I'm saying. If I'm appalled by it... Yeah, that's pretty repulsive. Okay, so um, Lynn is now a Patreon. Please, Lynn, do not Google that word. <laughs> Please don't. Um, and Katie is a Patreon. I'm not sure if we've had a chance to mention her, but she is a new Patreon. Awesome. Thank so you, Katie. She's got a she's got package coming out. All right. So, and Lynn now. Awesome. And mom. So please, please don't Google that word. <laughs> Do it. Don't. Don't. Yeah, it's repulsive. It's pretty it's, awesome. I'm telling you. <laughs> so bad. Mm. Okay, so you, what are we on? Twenty eight. Yeah, and you got a good one. Oh, this one. This I, is, I wanted to do this from the get go. You did, and then you got super pissed because you didn't somebody, want to do it. Well, no, because somebody came out with a podcast right at the same oh, time. Yeah, remember? And they were on WGN, mm-hmm. like promoting it because and she's she's famous. Like she has numerous podcasts about specific murder cases in each state. But on WGN, like no offense, like she wasn't good explaining it no no i wasn't impressed so so that that's why i was pissed about it because they were promoting hers and oscar keeps saying we need to like go to open mic nights and shit and promote ourselves what the fuck is open mic like you go and like sing or talk or you've never heard of open mic hello Uh, yeah to read poems no we're not gonna read a fucking poem okay that's poetry night Anyways. What, like a comedy act? No. Just like an open mic night. Like bars have open mic nights and you can go and do whatever you do. And we can talk about fletching? We are not talking about <laughs> fletching. No. But yeah, like like other podcasts do live shows. Okay. I don't think I could though. Well, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe eventually. Yeah. So we, we got to do a live YouTube one first. Yeah, we do. So, yeah, this case, um, talk about a fucking rabbit hole. Oh, it is. So. It is. So the, the other podcast about it, because there's not, there's not many. There's, I think, no. two that I could find. No. So this one's called Murder in Illinois. And um, so this woman, it, the, the case is about Chris Vaughn and his wife, Kimberly. Now, Kimberly's family has not and will not publicly speak about this event. They haven't since it happened. Which I don't blame them. So there's nothing massacre. Right. There's nothing on from their side. So there's very little about Kimberly and, you know, her childhood and and stuff like that because they they just aren't public about it. But the Murder in Illinois podcast is his family. 
Yes. So, so it's, it's going to be his, it was one side. And I tried to pull information from it that didn't sound like that wasn't biased. biased. Yeah. Um, it's a very like black and white case. Either you think he did it or you think he didn't. Right. There's, there's very little in between. And I've, I've changed my mind a few times I, I while too. doing it. Yeah, I have too. And then Tony said something and I was like, you know, ah, you're fucking dead on. That's why he was a supervisor. He's so good. He is. Because he made me, when he, when you told me what he said, mm-hmm. that, then I was like, oh. Oh, like that, that 100% uh, flipped me. It but flipped I'm, me. I'm still on the line. He's I, so, I, yeah. I, so realistically speaking, looking at the evidence, it could go either way. Yeah. But if you get into things that he has said and, and things that he have, has done, like right. it kind of pushes it one way, but yeah. So people that aren't aware, this was a local case for us. Yeah. In Oswego. They lived in Oswego. Yeah. Don't say Illinois. Oswego. I hate Oswego. that. Um, but it, the ironic thing about it was... Like, it, it it happened at the exact same time as Drew Peterson. And Lisa Stevick. Yes. Mm-hmm. In the same county. Yeah. Same courthouse. Same state's attorney. St- yes. Glasgow. Yep. Which so, was a huge issue. But it, so the events actually happened at the same time, and then so did the trials. His it, trial and Drew Peterson's trial. Yes, but it was national news, yeah. but Drew Peterson was taking over. Right. So this kind of got pushed to the side. Right. And in all honesty, I thought this case was more interesting. He was more um, camera, like, hungry. Drew Peterson was. Oh, That's yeah. That's why. Yeah. So everyone was eating that up. Mm-hmm. But at the exact same time, this happened. Yeah. And, I mean, I was like, holy yeah. fuck. And then when I went to, a couple of years ago, the homicide convention, mm-hmm. we got to listen to the investigators that worked the case. Mm-hmm. We got to see the crime photos. And, dear fucking Lord. Yeah. It, those... was, it was so bad. I'll, I'll just say it now. It'll come up later. But the scene was so bad, they called grief counselors to the scene. Yeah. So. It, it, those pictures were probably... If not, I, I mean, they, they were the worst that I've seen. Yeah. You know, so, I'm, I'm glad I wasn't there because it, it was a fucking yeah. nightmare. So, trigger warning, there's child murder in this, obviously. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I, I, I tried to be as neutral as I could. So, if I sound biased in in one way or another on any of these sections i apologize i try to avoid that um so i don't know this one kind of this one fucked me up a little bit uh, yeah I, but it did it did it took a little bit longer than i anticipated because like i i couldn't fucking stop yeah so it's interesting yeah it's when you dig into it because I mean, it it's still it like Legal, if you look at like the legal system and the evidence, and it it could go either way. Like at, at the conference, like you know, some of the speakers, guys are walking in and out, like mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, you know, this is kind of a vacation away from right. work, dude. We were glued to yeah. our fucking seats, like because what it's the so. Fuck? Like I feel like maybe we should have had Tony on for this one because 
he, he is brings fucking up, smart. He is. He is smart. He is. Uh, I, I, I don't think he gives himself no, enough credit he doesn't. either. Th- this like, is why I was late the other day, remember? Because we were yeah. talking about blood spatter and polygraphs and... Yeah. He's fucking smart. Yeah. So... I mean, that's why he was a supervisor yeah. for the task force. He is. He almost got hit by the, my fucking door today, too. Because he was sitting on the floor behind it, and Kate came, like, flying in. Was so. he having a good hair day again? Yeah. Yeah, he was. Good deal. So. All right. Well, yeah. why don't you uh, start us off? All right. So, I do have a little bit. I'm going to move my fucking microphone. I don't know. I still can't figure out a good way to fucking put it. Put it by your mouth. Yeah. All right. So, um, okay. So, on June 14th, 2007, John Sheeran was on his way to work when he noticed a man limping along the side of the frontage road, which is Bluff Road, off of Interstate 55, just south of Joliet. And it's so crazy because, like, I can like picture you it. said, like, this is extremely close yeah. to our house, so mm-hmm. I can picture all this. Yeah. Um. The motorist got the man into his car so he could call 911. He asked the man uh, if he had been in a motorcycle accident or if he had been stabbed. And the man responded with, quote, I think my wife shot me. It's a weird statement. So, yeah. So Chris uh, Vaughn was born in 1975 to parents Gail and Pierre, which is... Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of whatever. Uh, he was the oldest of three boys and was described as curious and kind of like a jack of all trades. Um, the Vaughns were definitely an outdoorsy family. They lived in Missouri after living in Indiana for a little while. Um, did a lot of fishing, camping. Yeah. Shit that you and I would not want to do. Yeah, but I hate No, yeah, no. <laughs> so, um, so Chris and his brother Eric were actually working at a mini golf place and Eric had met a girl through a mutual friend and he thought that this girl would be perfect for Chris because they would kind of balance each other out. Mm-hmm. Her name was Kimberly Phillips. Um, so they kind of planned it out for them to meet without telling them that they were going to, you yeah. know, but the two do, uh, they did hit it off immediately. Um, right before Chris's first year of college, Chris and Kimberly started dating seriously uh, Kimberly was older than him by two years. Not that it made a difference, but um, Chris was actually the first Vaughn to go to college. So his dad was super concerned, um, said that he really didn't think that the relationship with Kimberly was going to go anywhere. Yeah. And he wanted him to focus on school. So um, so he goes to college, whatever. Uh, the families attempted to get to know each other, but it was always like super fucking uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, because, so the way Pierre described it was, his family was active um, and they loved outdoor activities. Yeah. The Phillips family were quote sedentary bookworms and professional students. So complete opposite. Right. He said yeah. there was an obvious educational difference, and the Phillips would point it out any chance that they got. Uh, now again, this is from them. Yeah. Not I never got to the you know the Phillips side. Right. Um. But the, his family described them, like I said, as professional students who looked down on um, others, including Kimberly later on, hmm. because they didn't stay in college. Yeah. So she was at the University of Missouri, which is Mizzou, right? Yeah. In Columbia. And he was at a school in Rolla. They never said what school. There's a couple like technical colleges out there. In Rolla. Rolla, Missouri. 
Oh, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, it's like this big, that's why. So, uh, the drive was only an hour and 40 minutes apart, so Chris would frequently drive to her, and when he couldn't, Kimberly's dad would drive her to him. Okay. Um, before their first year of college was over, Chris came home and told his parents that him and Kimberly were getting married because she was pregnant. So his parents were pissed and I imagine hers were also. Um, so they, you know, he did what was right. That's how they described him. Right. So Kimberly was planning the wedding the way that she wanted and her mother would come in and change everything. She ordered flowers, and her mom came in the next day and canceled it and ordered the ones that she wanted. Oh, God. One of those So it was like moms. that type of, yeah, yeah. dynamic. Um, one of his brothers said, too, that a possible foreshadowing at the wedding happened. Um, the preacher asked if anybody had any objections to say them now, and a huge bolt of lightning cracked and almost hit the fucking church. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. You think they would have been like, uh, wow. should we rethink this? Where'd they get married at? Missouri. Oh, okay. Both families are from Missouri. So okay. um, after the wedding, the couple stayed with Kimberly's family. Um, so Kimberly was born in 1973 to parents Dell and Susan Phillips. She was one of three daughters and she actually had an identical twin sister. Mm. So which remind me later. Yeah, I didn't um, know that. They kind of got sick of staying with her parents because... It was awkward, yeah. you know. So right. Chris's parents turned their basement into a, a little apartment, and Chris and Kim moved in there until uh, two days before Kimberly was induced with their first child. Mm-hmm. They then went back to her parents' home and stayed there. So their firstborn, Abigail, was born in 1995. Um, per Gail, which is Chris's mom, Susan was very strict with Kimberly and the baby, even going as far as to turn Gail and her parents away. Really? She didn't let anybody see the baby. What? They can't. The baby can't go out in the sun. The baby can't drink milk. The baby can't oh, do that. Yeah. Geez. So uh, Chris and Kimberly, though, were soon able to get their own apartment, which was nice because then everybody yeah. could see. Well, Kimberly's mother told her that you can't get pregnant while you're breastfeeding, which is an old wives' tale. Hmm. You can. Yeah. Uh, and she did. So. Whoops. Yeah. Um, my note is we all know how much bullshit that consists of. So, but Kimberly didn't, Yeah, obviously. So Abigail was only a couple months old when Kimberly got pregnant again. Yeah. Irish twins. So Chris had been consistently working. He changed jobs frequently, always looking for something better. So if it was a dollar more an hour here, he would go here, you know? Right. Um, he was pretty self-taught in computers. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where he... Stayed. Yeah. Um. So when they found out they were pregnant with the second one, Chris decided to have a house built. And he did his research because he made sure that the house was literally smack dab in the middle of his parents and her parents. Oh, Like down to the foot. Yeah. Right in the middle. So shortly after they moved into their new home, their second child, Cassandra, was born. And about five years after that, their son, Blake, was born. Uh, in 2001, Chris received a job offer in Sammamish, I think. Sam, Yeah, Sammamish, Washington. It's near Seattle. He was working as a contractor for a contracting company to be a computer tech for large companies such as Boeing and... So a contractor to be a contractor. So he was a contractor <laughs> working for a contracting company. They didn't okay. give me the name of it. <laughs> Shut up. No, I'm just Take saying. your fucking pills. Shut up. I did. Um, I need a drink. 
Gulp, gulp, gulp. Tony said he's like, I could even do that part. <laughs> yeah. So. Stop thinking about replacing me, all right? Well, I mean, when I push you into the pond, I don't plan on, like, stopping the podcast. Yeah, true. So. True. Yeah. So, Chris decided, actually, to open his own private investigator firm, which uh, specialized in computer forensics. He called the company Stonebridge Consulting uh, after the street they lived on in Mm. Washington. And Kimberly then started online classes at the University of Phoenix to study criminology because she was going to join Chris at the firm. Oh. Okay. Um, she was, though, at the time, a stay-at-home mom. She did enjoy it, but, you know, she had her fucking days, just yeah, like we all do. Right. So after starting Stonebridge, uh, Chris purchased a 9mm Taurus and joined the Washington Association of Legal Investigators, which is Wally. Okay. And this was suggested to him by another PI um, that they have a weapon for yeah. serving when they were doing serving process papers yeah, and shit like that. Sense. So Kim actually took a course too and yeah. was shooting with the same weapon. Okay. So um, Chris was doing really well with the PI firm. He was charging about $250 an hour. So he was, he was making six figures a year. Damn. Self-taught computers. Wow. Opened his own firm. Right. Um, he was constantly being recruited by computer firms because of his success. Yeah. So in 2005, he's offered a job um, with a company called Navigate. It's a Chicago-based consulting computer forensics group. Mm-hmm. There's so many words when it's computers. I know, yeah. right? Um, it's, so Navigate Consulting Group is a management consultant firm. It provided management, con, I don't, consult, consultancy, Jesus, fuck. Jeez. <laughs> to businesses in the energy and other regulated industries. Yeah. So he would run the computer side of the managerial side of like NICOR okay. and Comet. Yeah. Which is much easier to say than all yeah, of this well, fucking you shit. You should have just said that. <laughs> That's what I get for trying to sound smart. I sound right? like a bigger fucking idiot. <laughs> um, so the offer, it, it had to be a great fucking offer because he picked up his family and was like, fuck yeah, we're moving. Mm. So they came back to Illinois they lived in an apartment in Aurora while they were having a house built in Oswego. Yeah. Uh, in May of 2005, the Vaughns took out two mortgages to pay for this home. One mortgage was 333000 for 30 years, and the second mortgage was 83000 for 15 years. Damn. Which sounds like a lot, but again, he's, he's, he's Navigate making, is offering yeah. him shit. To, he was making almost two hundred grand on his own. So he, he had to have been making more than that with Navigate yeah. to, to so take he, the offer. He's making bank. Right. So the family moved into their 3,373-square-foot home. Damn. Yeah. At 711 Mansfield Court in Spring, Bay, Spring Gate at Southbury Gated Community. Yeah. Uh, they actually were featured in an article in the real estate section of the Sun-Times because of the building of their home. Yeah. Uh, Kimberly did remain a stay-at-home mom, finishing her degree. And Chris's new job required him to travel throughout the U.S. and Mexico, downloading computer hard drives and mobile devices for some of Navigate's largest clients. That sounds awful. Yeah. Sounds just positively terrible. (laughs) Um, So, I don't know why I have a fucking line there. I don't know. So, I... 
I told Mark this earlier. I was going to try and get my shit together because I feel like it was all over the place on here. Yeah. So if I mention stuff a couple times, I, I apologize. Oh I think God. I doubled here up. Here we go. Um, so Kimberly graduated from University of Phoenix um, June 7th of 2007. Mm-hmm. And Chris decided that he wanted to celebrate. So he was actually planning on taking her to Missouri for a second honeymoon. Yeah. The following weekend. Oh, okay. Um. Kimberly suffered from chronic migraines and tension stress headaches. She was seeing a neurologist and was prescribed nortriptyline and Topamax. Never heard of that. So Topamax is usually for uh, seizures, but it's off like they give it for migraines. Okay. Um, She had confided confided in a few people, including her sister-in-law, that she seemed to be having adverse reactions to the meds such as uh, anxiety and panic attacks, and a, quote, big change in my personality. Hmm. Which I can believe. Yes. Because, yes. holy fuck, is that happened to me yes. more than once. Which is why I think it's interesting, because I think maybe that's why we looked so much into two sides. Yeah. Because we, we get it. Yeah. I, I Dude, yeah. my personality, I was a completely different yeah. person. Yeah. So she did go to the doctor. Um, she went to see a new doctor. It was an osteopathic doctor who wanted to take her off the meds. But obviously you have to, to wean. Right. Um, so June 13th of 2007, Chris, Kim, and the kids had dinner with their neighbors, um, Todd and Holly. They pretty much invited themselves over, came over all the time. It was like that kind of a right. relationship. Um, Todd said that Kim appeared the way she always did, very friendly and talkative. Um, and his wife said that Kim was relaxed and acting like herself. So the families got together almost every weekend, sharing dinners, stuff like that. So they they knew each other. Yeah. You know, they knew each other pretty well. Um, other couples would later concede that there were some cracks in the Vaughn's marriage, which... What marriage what doesn't? marriage doesn't. And you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. You're going to look back at it and blow mm-hmm. stuff out of proportion. Yeah, you know? of course. So um, Kim was very outgoing and Chris was more of an introvert. Yeah. So June 14th of 2007, Chris wakes up his family to surprise them with a trip to a water park in Springfield. Nobody knew about the trip. He planned it the night before. Okay. So he wakes them up. They pack up the van at the ass crack of dawn and they head to uh, Knight's Action Park in Springfield. I didn't even know they had one. I did not either. Springfield is. I thought it was like Springfield, most... Missouri, until like today when oh, I saw yeah. Springfield, Illinois. No, like, it's in Springfield, Springfield, Illinois. Springfield, Illinois is the most boring. It's a shithole. Yeah, <laughs> like it's our capital. It's a shithole. It, it is the most yeah. boring fucking place mm-hmm. ever. Yeah. All the bars close at like nine o'clock. Yeah. It's a sh- yeah. It's not. It sucks. It's not exciting. No. So where the fuck is the water park? I, I have I no don't idea. Know. Yeah. Um. So around 5 a.m., Kimberly, now this is, we're just getting into what could be. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Kimberly asked Chris to pull over because she was feeling sick, which was a very common side effect of her medications. Mm -hmm. So Chris pulled off of 55 onto a frontage road, which was Bluff Road, um, and he pulled into a little nook by a cell tower to give his wife some privacy, Mm -hmm. which Tony's reaction was, who the fuck needs privacy when they're puking? Valid point. I, I don't know. I You would, because you're loud as fuck. Yep, Sounds I, like somebody's killing you. I would. 
I, I would yeah. want privacy. So you know how I get yeah. when I get sick. Yeah, and I don't want anyone to fucking see it. Well, Tony's puked in front of all of us, so maybe that's why. Maybe yeah. <laughs> maybe that's why he thinks that. Yeah. Um. So it gets fuzzy from here in general. Yeah. No matter who you're talking to. Yes. Uh, Chris said that he got out to check the tires and tighten a luggage strap. Um, he initially remembered nothing. Nothing after that. Um, then he started to remember bits and pieces. He said when he got out, he felt a pain in his leg. He got back in the van and saw blood on his leg and took a, went head first out of the uh, driver's side door and ran as much as he could. Yeah. Um, at approximately 5.15, this is when John Sheeran saw him limping on the side of the road. Um, he calls, the John calls 911 and lets them know, like, this is what's going on. Um, Chris had been shot in the left wrist and the left leg. Now, almost every source I read said that they were superficial wounds. Mm-hmm. His wrist was, his leg really wasn't. No. I mean, it, it was, was a decent wound. He almost got shot in the nut. Yeah, it was an inch above his penis and scrotum. Yeah. And it missed his artery by like a half an inch. So it, it was a decent yeah. wound. So again, media trying to right. fluff it. Right. And no, it was a fucking it was a, bad yeah, gunshot. The leg wound was bad. Um. So he can be heard, Chris can be heard in the 911 call. He's almost babbling um, about a red car, which they had a red expedition. Yeah. Uh, When authorities arrived on scene, Chris was again babbling about a red car. Uh, An ambulance took Chris to St. Joe's Hospital. I did find out the hospital. Oh, my God, dear Lord. So now the paramedics, so this, this was in Shanahan. So Shanahan Fire... You know, police and fire showed up and then state showed up because it's on the expressway. Um, So Shanahan's first responders said that he was freaking the fuck out about his cowboy boots. Yeah. And his jacket. Don't don't cut my boots. Don't cut my jacket. And a lot of people were like, why the fuck would you care? People care. People care. I've had people shot seven or eight times and they want me to cut along the seams so they can put their pants back together. Like, people care. What the fuck when I woke up and my favorite tank top was cut oh off? Oh, God. I was pissed beyond for fucking... For like, be- for days. Yes. Yeah. So, people care. So, now, to somebody who's never seen that, obviously, they're going to be like, like, what the fuck, dude? This yeah. is what you care about right now? Yeah. Because um, it's all you're thinking about. Right. Right. So, troopers were able to follow a blood trail from where Chris was found to his family's Red Ford expedition. Um, wait, I think I gotta... Hang on. Where did I fucking put it? You got... Oh my god, you got post notes again? I do. But I have a specific one. Here we go. Okay. Okay, so... Um, Inside the expedition was mm-hmm. 34-year-old Kimberly, 12-year-old Abigail, 11-year-old Cassandra, and 8-year-old Blake, who all appeared to be dead from multiple gunshot wounds. Paramedics determined all four were dead and, quote, left the doors open as they got out of the crime scene. And the pictures were fucking terrible. So Kimberly suffered an angle contact gunshot wound to the chin, which was under the chin. Abigail was shot near her right eye and her right lower chest. She was holding a stuffed animal in a Harry Potter book. Mm-hmm. Cassandra was shot in the middle of her forehead and her chest. Mm-hmm. 
Blake was shot in the forehead and near his left armpit, which they later determined was because he had his arms up in a defensive stance. That's why it went in his armpit. Um, the shots to the children in the back seat came from over the left shoulder of the front passenger seat, and they were fired upon from approximately a foot away. Mm-hmm. Um, like Mark said, the pictures were awful. Yeah. They're nowhere to be found. So you, you won't. Um, the investigators. I looked. I did look. They're not going to post. Um, they were that bad. Yeah. So they they did. Um, they did have grief counselors come to the scene. Yeah. Uh, retired state police captain Carl Dobrik said that quote the first impression hit me like a sledgehammer. One of the little girls was clutching a Harry Potter book. She was about the same age as my daughter, who is also reading the Harry Potter books. I'm getting chills right I now. I am too. Just thinking I got about him. it. So Kimberly was slumped over in the front passenger seat, kind of like leaning towards the front console, but to the side over the the center console. Yeah, she was. Um, Abigail was sitting behind her. Cassandra was sitting in the middle, and Blake was sitting behind the driver's side. Um, The word, like this, this one, I don't know why I even threw this statement in, but obviously his arms were up in what they think was a defensive stance, so he, he saw it coming. Yeah. He, he... His last moments were his mother and his, his two sisters right. being shot. Yeah. So um, Kim's purse and the 9mm Taurus were found at Kimberly's feet. This immediately became breaking news. Mm-hmm. Um, there was helicopters everywhere, news trucks everywhere, Im- immediately. And if you Google it, you'll see all the pictures of the helicopter Yeah, that photos. you can see. Yeah. yeah. So um, when Chris got to the hospital... Um, hospital staff will testify that he, according to what they heard, he didn't know his family was dead. He kept asking where they were, and he said, call my wife. She gets mad when I don't call her. So at the scene, helicopters were flying low enough that you could see Kimberly's body slumped over in the front seat. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the Illinois State Police CSI, Robert Deal, which... Me and Tony know. Yes. And he... Yes. Um... He was the lead CSI on the scene. He listed Kimberly as suspect number one and Chris as suspect number two. You didn't know that, did you? No, yeah. but I'm shaking my head. Um, so the contact wound under Kimberly's chin is a classic sign of self-infliction. Who, like, why are you listing anyone as a suspect at this time? Right. And who, okay, you're a crime scene investigator. You... It gets worse. You collect evidence. Yeah, it gets worse. So uh, Sergeant Deal later testified that the the PD had tunnel vision, that tunnel vision had infected the case. He said, quote, every time I would come up with something that the evidence would suggest or support or you would be able to at least follow the evidence to come to a logical conclusion, basically I was just given some other crazy way that this could have occurred or they would change their theory of what happened to try and match the evidence rather than letting the evidence dictate to you the events that occurred. Okay. So, uh, after making this public statement, um, he was able to uh, not investigate. Um, He was able to go through the car one more time. Right. uh, Which was kept at the old Juliet prison. 
Mm-hmm. So after that, though, uh, he was promptly excluded from the investigation, and Will County State's Attorney James Glasgow wrote a letter to his supervisor asking that he no longer be assigned to Will County cases. <laughs> Um, he was the CSI in the Drew Peterson case. Yeah. He was also the CSI in the Honeybee Killer case. Yes. Which so, I think I will be doing. Both of those, he came up with his own theory. Yes. And that's that's the thing. And was public you, about it. You collect evidence. Yeah. You're not a detective. Yeah. And he was publicly making statements. We don't need to hear theories. Yeah. We need the evidence brought to us, what you found, where it was found at, and we go from there. So, um, the expedition is then towed from the scene with the bodies in it. Yeah. Is that normal? Yeah, it could be. Okay. Yeah. Um, after being treated and released from the hospital, Chris was brought to Illinois State Police Dick District 5 headquarters to be interviewed, which is in Lockport. Yeah, yeah, I think it's Lockport. He was questioned uh, the first interview for approximately 14 hours. The first time? Yeah, he was interviewed three times. The first time was 14 hours. 14 hours long? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now, this is where I might jump a little bit. I apologize. Did they do any breaks in between, do you know? They tried to give him McDonald's and he didn't want any food. But did they break? Mm-mm. So you're going for. I mean, they left hours? him like they left him in the room by himself. Okay. For short so, periods of okay. time. No, that's fine. Okay. The, that's what I mean, breaking it up. So shortly after the shooting, uh, Gail, Chris's mom, received a phone call from a reporter from the Sun Times. This was around noon. The reporter was asking how Kimberly got along with the family and how the family dynamic was, and Gail was like, um, "Fuck, you talking about? Yeah. Why?" The reporter says, quote, you haven't heard? They've all been killed. Oh, my God. So that's how Chris's parents found out. How fucking terrible. Um, Gail hung up, went to the TV, called her husband. Her sister came upstairs. Uh, Gail was sitting on the floor just staring at the TV, crying. Her sister Rose asked her what was wrong, and Gail said, my whole family's been killed. Mm. So uh, Pierre said he heard on the news that there was only one survivor, but they never said who. Yeah. He repeatedly tried to call Chris and Kimberly with no answer. Um, He called Chris's office, and they said that Chris had taken a sick day that day, that he didn't show up. Mm -hmm. So Pierre called Gail back to tell her he couldn't really get a hold of anybody. And this is when Gail told him that Kimberly's mom called and said that Chris and Kim's car was on the TV. You could see Kim in the front seat, and you could see the kids in the back seat. Mm -hmm. Um. Adam, one of Chris's brothers, was called by his parents and said that there had been an accident. He goes online and finds the picture where Kim is slumped in the front seat. Yeah. So that's how his two brothers found out. Jesus Christ. Um, Gail and Pierre, they wanted to find Chris, but they said all their calls to the state police were, were unhelpful. Mm. They, they were not helpful. Um, so they decided that um, they were going to go find him. Right. They were going to go up there and find him. So they hop in their truck and they drive the six hours and they get to District 5 headquarters at around 1030 at night. Yeah. So uh, despite asking several times and several officers, they had not been given any official information about what had happened. So they don't know essentially what's Mm -hmm. going on. Um, 
So at the beginning of Chris's interviews, he repeatedly is asking where Kim and the kids are. Um, when he said he wouldn't, he finally was like, I'm not fucking talking until you tell me. Yeah. The cops were like, they're dead. You killed them. Wow. So now for the Phillips family, Kimberly's family, um, they immediately had an attorney speaking on their behalf who they think was a family friend. So not, not too big of a deal. Right. Um, but Gail found out from one of the state troopers that the Phillips uh, were notified within two hours of the shooting because police had come to their house with a grief counselor at approximately eight in the morning. Wow. So they found out at eight and Chris's parents found out from the fucking sun times. Jesus Christ. So, which that's, that's not, a- that's not just their side. I substantiated that. That's actually what happened. And, and that's fucked up. So yeah, that's, you don't do that. So his parents are, are sitting in the waiting room. and what, What's wrong with giving them a little bit of information? They gave them nothing. That, that's bullshit, yeah. in my opinion. So what they said was they repeatedly told, uh, they were repeatedly told, excuse me, that Chris was not a suspect and he was helping the police try to make sense of what happened. Um, so they pulled the parents in. They were basically interviewing the parents, but like basic questions, nothing yeah. big. Um According to Pierre, when Chris refused an attorney, uh, he was not aware that his family had been his family was dead. So they were assured by a man named Agent Mullen that Chris was free to go at any time and he knew his parents were there. So uh, Pierre's like, okay, so is he under fucking arrest? And they're like, no. And he's like, okay, well, then we want to take him home. Yeah, he he can't leave. He waived his right to counsel. So he has to finish the questioning. That's wow. what they told his parents. Okay. Um, mm. So they, his parents left the station at around 1.10 in the morning, told um, that Chris knew that they were in the waiting room and he would have their phone numbers so he could call them yeah. when he was ready to go. Right. Um, Chris's parents, the next morning, because they had not heard from him, went back to District 5 headquarters only to find out that Chris had been, uh, Chris asked to leave around 2 a.m., so PD called him a cab, and they had no fucking idea where he was. So um, after more than 12 hours of questioning, Chris did ask if he was under arrest. And when they told him no, he said, well, I, I want to go home. I want to get some food. I want to get some sleep. So he said, I said what I'm going to say. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Yeah. So they call him a cab, and off he goes. He's in a hospital gown that's bloody, his underwear, and hospital booties. And that's how they that's let it. him go? That's, all he, that's how they let him go. <laughs> So, wow. um, so a little bit of the interview, uh, special agent Cornelius Monroe, who had been interviewing Chris, um, came into the room after giving him a break and moved the crime scene photos of Kimberly and the kids closer to Chris. Um, Chris attempted to push the pictures away when Monroe screamed, do not touch my fucking pictures, dude. Um, per the Tribune, Chris picked up the picture of Blake crumpled it and threw it in the corner, then stood up. Monroe stood up quickly, knocking over his chair, and stood chest to chest with Chris, daring him to leave. Wow. Um, Now, in other sources, it says that Chris crumbled up the picture and threw it when he was in the room by himself. So, I mean, that's a that that is a tactic to do that to show crime Mm -hmm. crime scene photos. Mm -hmm. But think about it. Would you want to fucking look at that? No. Why would I want to look at? My exactly. Dead kid. I would have crumbled it mm-hmm. up too and mm-hmm. threw it out. So, 
uh, Cornelius Monroe was basically daring him to leave. He's like, try it. I'm still fucking talking to you. But I, I watched the video. The whole video. Yeah. So um, Vaughn actually, Chris sat back down and he continued the interview, but he refused to speak with Monroe. He yeah. wanted somebody else. So another investigator came in, continued the interview, um, and briefly left Vaughn alone to decide if he had anything left to say. Chris was also interviewed by Sergeant Gary Lawson. Do any of these names sound familiar? Because you said you talked to the investigators. So this guy said, quote, Lucky Chris, the reborn Chris, the Chris that doesn't have to worry about them kids anymore. Chris replies, Today I lost everything. And the investigator replies, You lost everything, but you're still here. Think about your wife. Think about your kids. Vaughn didn't reply. He just put his head down on the table and then was screamed at by the investigators to keep his head fucking down because that's where it deserves to be. Ooh, wow. Um, they also told him on more than one occasion um, to stop talking like a little girl. You sound like a little girl. Stop talking like a little girl. Okay. So, um, Sergeant... I mean, what, what comments was he making that... Just his the sound of his voice, they said, was he sounded like a girl. He was very monotone. Um yeah. To me, watching the video, it he's in shock. Was That's, his voice changing? No, no. He was very monotone. No. And he never raised his voice. He didn't, you know, they're screaming at him and he never I mean, screamed back at them. That's usually a sign of deception is when your voice is changing. And his voice didn't change at all. At all. Um, and like I said, he didn't, he didn't get loud. Um, he, in the very beginning of the interview, said, he, you know, he didn't understand what was going on. He didn't know what had happened, that him and Kim were doing better and he was trying to be a better family man. Yeah. And Lawson responded with, what don't you understand that your wife and kids are now dead? Um, he tried to get Chris to say their names. Yeah. And he said, Abigail and Blake, they're dead, dead, no longer alive, Chris. And he wouldn't say their names out loud. He didn't say anything. Yeah. Um, he looked weary and very disheveled and then said, quote, I couldn't have done it. She couldn't have done this. Um, he then said, they're gone. They're gone. I've got nothing to go back to. So he did also say they, they tried to lie to him and say that there was a camera on the cell phone tower. Yeah. So he was like, pull the fucking tape. Yeah. Go go get the fucking tape because like I need to know what happened. You guys want to know what happened. I don't know what happened. Go pull this fucking tape so we can all see what happened. Right. There's no camera on the cell phone. Right. Tower. Of course. Um he also never blamed Kimberly mm. in the initial interview. Um and the way that he spoke about her in subsequent interviews was not like she's a fucking monster. Like right. he was he was like I just I don't get it. Yeah. I don't understand. So at 1.40, he was put in a cab. He was first driven um, to the Fairfield Inn, and they mm. were like, fuck you, bum, get out. Yeah. So he went to the Hampton Inn, which is right next to yeah. it. They again said, fuck you, bum, get out. Yeah. So he went to the Super 8 Motel. He finally got a room at the Super 8 Motel. So his parents had to track him down. They, they tracked down the cab company, found out he was dropped off at the Fairfield Inn, couldn't find him there, and just started, like, yeah. going, you know? Wow. Um, so they, they found him. His mom said uh, he looked like he was in a state of shock, and he was dazed, and he just sat in the dark. 
Mm-hmm. He didn't talk to anybody. He didn't say anything. He didn't watch TV. He literally sat in the dark. His mom went and bought him clothes while his dad um, helped him clean up and change his bandages. Mm -hmm. So he still didn't talk. Um, They said it was apparent that he had gaps in his memory. His parents said this. Um, And then again with his leg wound not being superficial. It was a wound that was packed with a substantial amount of packing gauze. Yeah. Like you would pack for an abscess. Yeah. So, it it was a pretty decent size, yeah, wound. And I get the packing because my arm. You've had was it, packed, right? Right. And so. there was thirty six inches of packing that they pulled out. Thirty six out of his leg. Dude, that's that's a fucking wound. Yep. Thirty six inches of packing. That's that's not superficial. That's a fucking wound. That's yes. So um, Chris ended up giving two more interviews, and then he went back to his parents' house in Missouri. On June 20th, the Illinois State Police executed a search warrant at the Vaughn home where they seized, um, among other things, three computers and several boxes. Um, He was already being tried by the media, obviously. So the state police called him to come back for another interview. And his dad's like, well, come here. We're right here. But they wanted him to come across state lines in case he said anything. So, you know. Of course. Which is good thinking. Right. He said on the way home, Dad, like, they're coming after me. They think I did it. Yeah. And his dad's like, well, you didn't. You have nothing to worry about. And he's like, no, they're they're coming after me. So he he knew. Yeah. You know. Um, I mean, watching the news just the first day, you saw where it was going. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. So he, after that interview, becomes the prime suspect publicly. Um, A big reason the police immediately suspected him was his lack of emotion. His mother commented several times on his lack of emotion that when he became an adult, when, you know, adulthood, he just became a very stoic person and generally did not outwardly show emotion. Yeah. In general. So. I really don't. No, you don't. I show I show bitchy. Yeah. That's about it. But But no, like in all honesty, but that was his his demeanor is a huge factor in this but his mom said that's just how he was so uh kimberly and the kids bodies were transported back to missouri on june 22nd a memorial service was held for kimberly and the kids Uh, per witnesses chris was quiet and kept to himself still appeared to be in a state of shock and was quote not in any position to greet people so we stayed in like that little food room where all the kids are all the time and i guess the coffins were right outside of that room now planning the funeral with her parents was a fucking shit show um they wanted her jewelry they wanted the keys to the house they thought the house was going to be theirs um chris wanted the plot next to kim and they fought him on it and finally they they allowed him to have it right um So the family were, they were advised by their attorneys to not speak with anybody. Mm -hmm. The media perceived this as either they didn't care or they were hiding something. No, it's the smart Um, thing to do. Right. Mom said in hindsight, she said she would have sang from the fucking mountaintops now. But hindsight's 2020. Yeah. You know? Um, So, like I said, they were asking about Kim's jewelry and the key to the house because they thought they were getting the house. Uh, June 23rd, which was the day of the funeral. The families arrived to the funeral home at around 7 o'clock in the morning. Um, per Pierre, Chris, quote, knew something was up. 
He gave Pierre important paperwork and signed his Jeep over to him. Mm. So the family said that the tension was palpable just with the staff of the funeral home. They hadn't seen Kim's family at this point. This is just with the staff. Right. Uh, The Vaughns were put into a separate room and asked about the jewelry that Kimberly was supposed to be buried with because now the Phillips wanted it. So Chris was told he needed to go downstairs to sign all the paperwork for the jewelry, and Pierre went with him because Pierre wouldn't let him go alone. Right. Um, When Chris and Pierre walked into what appeared to be a conference room, they were greeted by several police officers at approximately 7.50. Chris was immediately handcuffed and arrested by St. Charles County with Illinois State Police present. Uh, Probable cause for the arrest was based off of bloodstain interpretations that were later discredited by DNA testing on the seatbelt in his jacket. He was read his rights and told he was being arrested for the murder of his family. Pierre then had to go upstairs and tell everybody else that he got arrested. Man, at the funeral. His mom at this point broke. This was the first time she broke. Um, The family stayed and... Pierre and his two brothers were actually pallbearers at the funeral. Jesus. So, um, James Glasgow was the driving force for the funeral arrest. Uh, I'm there sure he was, because that's literally how he is. no reason that no. they couldn't have waited. No, you couldn't, you couldn't wait till after? None. You he, know where the fuck he is. He did it for show. Uh, that, that fucking guy. Yeah. That, whatever. He did, he did it for show. And his, his excuse was, because he was asked about it by the media, and he's like, well, when we knew we had our guy. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill we had to go get him yeah dude can't bury his fucking kids yeah so he did it obviously that dude i have my feelings about him yeah i know a lot of people do yeah so him and our state's attorney just beyond belief so chris pled not guilty to all counts and was held in a will county jail in joliet with a million dollar bond On July 25th, 2007, Chris Vaughn was indicted on eight counts of first-degree murder, two for each person, and his million-dollar bond was revoked. The indictment alleged that Vaughn shot Kim and the kids with, quote, lawful, without, excuse me, lawful justification with the intent to kill. Got a flip. Uh, During the second interview, police really pressed Chris to try and remember what had happened. um, And they were telling him, quote, do it for your children. So Chris then started talking. He still kind of had the fragmented memory. um, But he said, quote, after getting back inside the car, I looked over and thought I saw a gun. But I knew that was impossible. Why does Kim have a gun? It was like my mind shut off. I froze, and I looked down, and my leg was bleeding. Uh, He said he lifted his left arm between the gun and his head when he saw Kimberly raising the gun towards him. The bullet deflected off his ginormous uh, silver and turquoise stone watch band. Turquoise. I know. And went out the driver's side window. I tried to find a picture of this fucking watch band (laughs) for you, and I I couldn't find it. 
Turquoise um, jewelry. Love it. He then said the gun was thrust into his jacket for the second shot. Uh, the bullet passed a fraction of an inch, like I said, over his penis and scrotum, exited the top of the left leg and uh, by the side of his jeans. He then fell, quote, head first out of the car and ran to get help. Uh, the state of Illinois made it very clear that their intention was to seek the death penalty. Yeah. Which, in reality, before, obviously, it got abolished, yeah. was more beneficial almost to the defense because if you were charged in a death penalty case, the county pays for your defense through the Capital Litigation Trust Fund, which is a $20 million statewide fund created as one of the reforms to, quote, level the playing field by providing funding for defense experts, investigations, and experienced criminal defense attorneys. It was created to provide resources for proving innocence before trial rather than after conviction. And it was a result of a private investigator named Paul Cialino getting a confession that freed prisoner Anthony Porter from death row in 1999. So over the course of the next four years. But now no more. Right. (laughs) So over the course of the next four years, Chris had a stellar fucking defense team. Yeah. Led by St. Louis attorney John Rogers and Joliet attorney Gerald Killian. Uh, Because of the fund, they had millions at their disposal and were prepping for the trial at this point. Um, On March 9th, 2011, Governor Patrick Quinn signed the bill abolishing the death penalty of Illinois. In Illinois, excuse me. Uh, When the death penalty went away, so did all of the funding from the Capital Litigation Trust Fund. So the defense team actually went before the Will County Board. uh, I think I wrote his fucking name down somewhere. Uh, went before the board and asked for a completion budget. His attorneys then withdrew from the case because the board president, Jim Maustis, was like, fuck you. No, we're not, we're not paying you. So the big name attorneys asked to be withdrawn from the case and he was appointed a part-time private, or part-time, excuse me, um, public defender. Now, this public defender did have a private practice in Joliet. Um, he also had notably defended Craig Stebbick, wow. which is Lisa Stebbick's husband, yeah. uh, and Drew Peterson. Yeah. He left the Peterson defense team when he uh, got into a fight with Joel Broski. Shocking. <laughs> God. Yeah. Um, so the appointed fact investigator stayed on the case. So he was brought on by the defense team in St. Louis in 07. Yeah. He stayed, his name is Bill Clutter. Um, he, believing in Chris's innocence, stayed on pro bono. Uh, he said he originally assumed that this was just going to be a sentencing case, and for the first few months he thought Chris was guilty. Yeah. After reading the transcripts and watching 20 hours of video interrogation, same dude, same. Yeah. Uh, he thought Chris might be innocent. He said it was apparent he had no memory. Uh, this is the first time that disassociative amnesia is brought up. Um, which are cases, the way that they're kind of like, you know, six degrees of separation. Mm-hmm. But, okay, so Casey Anthony, dissociative yeah. amnesia. Right. Um, so the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders says that dissociative amnesia is a form of memory loss caused when a person witnesses a traumatic event. 
Per the manual, an example would be a sole survivor and witness to a crash that kills their entire family. A person will remember everything up until the trauma-producing event, but will have no memory of the events that produced the trauma. In some cases, a person's memory may be restored in a couple days. In some cases, it may never come back. Um, you. Can I, I you. say my yes, little mm-hmm. shtick? So, before when I got sick, before my coma and when I coded, that whole week of my surgery... I have no memory Mm-mm. whatsoever. Nope. No clue. You even, like, trying to help me remember, like, when we met with the doctor, I, I have no fucking memory mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. The only thing I remember is a week prior going in for the the x-rays. The, yeah, pre-surgical the stuff. The pre-surgical x-rays. And Leah threw up a blue Slurpee. Yeah. And then, yeah, and then... That's it. Mm-hmm. I don't remember coming home. Nope. You don't, don't remember. You don't remember being prepped. You no. don't remember the doctor's appointment before. No, you, I don't remember yeah. meeting the doctor. I don't remember any of that. You had shit. like I said the name of the person who met us here, and you were like, "Okay, I remember walking in the house, and that's it." Yeah. You don't remember anything. So else. for people that think that's bullshit, it's not. It is totally fucking not. Hundred percent. Because you you don't remember the trauma producing event exactly. So, it's a it's a it's a thing. It, it's, it's a real thing. It's a real people fucking don't. Thing. Yeah, yeah. They think it's bullshit. They think that people are faking it right. because they just don't want to talk about it. Right. They they legitimately may not know whether he's the cause of the traumatic event or not. Right. This can still happen. And maybe if I hadn't gone through that event, and maybe my opinion would be different. But maybe. I, I think that's why my opinion is so strong right. because I've gone through right. these events right. with the medication. Mm-hmm. I I've been a different and, fucking person. And honestly, on medicine. that's why I'm been, so torn. I've been hospitalized. Mm-hmm. You fucking admitted me. Yeah. Because I was a completely different person. And that's the thing. That's I why I'm so almost, torn. I became almost homicidal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When I told you, babe, I, I think I'm gonna fucking kill you. I um I wanted you to punch me so they would tie you down so I could go the fuck home. <laughs> but like getting back, like it, I'm I'm trying to it you know, be honest here. Right. Like it's real life. Right. I went through right. the medication mm-hmm. shit. It completely changed me. Yes. I went through fucking losing all my memory. Mm-hmm. So it, it it happens. Right. And the dissociative amnesia it doesn't matter if you're the cause of the traumatic event. It's right. just it's a just traumatic tra- event yeah. in general. Just the trauma. So um, a psychiatry a- expert for the defense studied the 20 hours of tapes, and he was convinced of Chris's innocence. Now, he never met Chris. He watched the tapes. Um, saying that the nuance of detail would be difficult to fake. So this was referring to Chris using the present tense, speaking about Kim and the kids, until he was shown the crime scene photos. After he was shown the crime scene photos, then he would speak about them in the past tense. So the psychiatrist was basically like, that would be too much to think about. like To To to, switch. Right, right. Um, So, yeah. I, I watched I watched the 20 fucking hours of tape. I read the transcripts. Like, the, to me, he appears to be in a state of shock. Am I saying he's innocent or guilty? No. 
he he definitely appears to be in a state of shock and it does not appear to me that it is that he's malingering like even if he did do this right how can you not be in shock right, killing right. your whole fucking right. family? Like second thoughts, you know what I mean? Yeah, what so, the fuck did I just do? Right. My whole fucking family right. is dead. So that's why I'm saying I'm not I'm not saying he's guilty, I'm not saying he's innocent. I'm saying this is how he acted in the interviews. Um he he was. He was in a total state of shock. Um August 13th of 2012, jury selection begins. More than 200 people were interviewed, including a retired reading teacher, a truck driver, and an insurance attorney. That insurance attorney ends up becoming the jury foreman, by the way. Uh, jurors were asked to elaborate on answers they provided on their questionnaire, because again, this is a death penalty case. Right. Um, including existing mental health issues, whether they owned a handgun, and whether or not they had been victims of a crime. Um, at this point, the assistant state's attorney, this poor fuck who got the case, yeah. you know, four years of multiple attorneys and it's handed to, to him. Yeah. So he uh, he got pissed off because the state's attorneys were asking detailed questions regarding um, prospective jurors' families and how they would react if their spouse uh, or children were hurt. Yeah. Uh, so the defense filed a complaint arguing that the state's attorney's office was attempting to, quote, in indoctrinate, persuade, and counsel jurors by asking them to prejudge the facts of the case. Yeah. Uh, jury selection took one day. It was four men and eight women with six alternates. Uh, opening statements... Four men and eight women? Four women and eight men. Oh, okay. I thought you said it the other way. I might have. Okay. So eight men... Eight men and four women. Four, wow. Okay. And six alternates. I don't know what they were because okay. they didn't say... Um, opening statements started August 20th, 2012 at the Will County Courthouse in downtown Joliet in room 406. Drew Peterson's trial was right next door in room 407. <laughs> so, Jesus. so the prosecution alleged in its opening statements that Chris killed his wife and kids because he wanted to get away from his obligations as a husband and a father to live in the Canadian wilderness. Which sounds like they're making it up, but they're not. Right. They're not. Um, the defense alleged in their opening statements that Kimberly Vaughn was the shooter and she was angry at Chris for an affair that he admitted to and suicidal and homicidal from her medications. Uh, Which I can totally believe. Yes. So Glasgow said at the beginning of this that he was going to personally try this case. Yeah. He did not. And he didn't. No. Yeah, of course. Um, Will County State's Attorney... Because he was afraid to lose. Right. Will County State's Attorney Deborah Mills claimed that Vaughn planned the murders, calling it a, quote, exit scenario from a troubled marriage. Uh, their first witnesses were multiple first responders. They testified about finding the bodies while the uh, crime scene photos were shown to the jury. Day two consisted of testimony from Kimberly's sister and father, who both contend that they had spoken to her and that she was fine. There was nothing out of the ordinary. Uh, her neighbor, again, testified to the same thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, the defense did a cross on the neighbor, and the neighbor did say that Chris was very protective of his children. Yeah. Which I don't buy. I, that's This is where I'm starting to get torn. Okay. So. Um, I think I know why. Yeah. So part of the prosecution's argument was that Chris wanted to, quote, just live plain and simple. A month before the murders, Chris traveled to northwestern Canada. 
There were multiple emails found on his computer saying that he longed for a life unencumbered by cell phones and other hallmarks of modern society, citing poet Henry David Thoreau about the virtue of shrugging off obligations. He started compiling survival guides and a bunker filled with survival gear. Uh, several emails were found sent to a friend. Turning into the fucking Unabomber. Yeah, yeah. He really, he really was. Um, what was his first name? Uh, Steve. So he made a friend named Steve Wilcott via the social networking site 43 Things. Yeah, see, this is kind of weird. This, yeah. This is what... This is what turned me. Yeah, this is what I'm kind of... This like, is what turned me. What the fuck? Yeah, so... Uh, Wilcott said him and Chris talked about planning an extended camping trip in British Columbia. 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 Wow. <laughs> Hello. God. Or the Northwest Territories. Uh, in February of 2007, Chris w- wrote, quote, I have been married for a long time and it was just recently a few years ago I woke up and realized it was not going to work and I did not want to be obligated to live this lifestyle until I'm dead. He also said Kim would, quote, be just fine because he planned to fake his own death and he had taken out a substantial life insurance policy that she would get. Yeah. Uh, he said, quote, maybe she'll find someone who has their head in the game. Wow. Um, yeah, th- this is weird. Yeah. So Vaughn, he wrote out meticulous plans about going to live in the Canadian wilderness down to growing his own peppers to make beef jerky. Yeah, he's really turning into the fucking yeah. Unabomber. And seeing, quote, being a little overprepared never hurts. Uh, Vaughn, told, Vaughn told Wilcott his plan to disappear was, quote, not complex, but he was having trouble finding someone willing to, quote, tell police a story leading them to believe that I had killed or that I had been killed. He said he needed to fake his own death or he, quote, can't go with a clear conscience. Then he says, quote, I'll figure it out one way or another. He complained about his, and I'm saying a lot of quotes because these are specific emails that were written, so I apologize. Um, He complained about his, quote, half-wasted life that he felt was weighed down by things that he owned, his wife and his family. He said Kimberly would say something nice once in a while, but 99% of the time she is, quote, not pleasant to be around. He then says, quote, if I drop off the earth, things will go on. I would be the same, but soon in their minds, I will be a fading memory. He then talks about meeting a, quote, girl in a club. Um, so he was referring to Maya Drake, who was a former stripper, who uh, he said he told Steve Wilcott that she expressed interest in coming on their camping trip. Yeah. But then says, quote, she is definitely an idealist and wouldn't survive in the wilderness. Um, Maya Drake, she worked in, I don't know the name of this strip club. I know the other one, but it was a near north strip club. She would later testify that Chris was a frequent client who paid her to talk about poetry and camping. He never touched her. He never got a lap dance. They sat and had drinks and talked. Wow. That's kind of weird. Uh, He told her that he was unhappy in his marriage and he planned on leaving his wife to live in the Canadian wilderness. Quote, he said she was going to get everything. He said she was going to get what she she deserved. She wasn't going to see it coming. So that could be taken one of two ways. Right. That could be taken as he's going to offer or that could be taken as, like he said earlier, 
she was going to be taken care of. He took out this life insurance yeah. policy and he was going to fake his own death. So right. she would get it. Um, another dancer by the name of Crystal Miller, who was known as Cassidy, uh, worked at Scores Gentleman Club. That's Cassidy. She had to be fucking tracked down. She did not want to come in and testify for whatever reason. Probably she had warrants. I'm just saying. That's generally why people don't want to come to court is because they have warrants. Yeah. Um, so she said that she remembers Vaughn coming in twice and he was, quote, such a gentleman only wanting to drink and talk. So again, with her, he never touched her. She never touched him. He didn't get lap dances. He bought drinks That's and they weird. talked. Why not go to a well, regular bar? What's even more weird. Library so or some shit. He told um, Crystal that he had been single for five years and he had no family or kids. She described him as a, quote, very timid, very shy and uncomfortable seeming person. He gave her one of his cards and told her to get a hold of him. I remember him using the word future, and it was very strange, is what she said. Uh, the manager of Scores Gentleman Club testified that Vaughn was at the club twice, once on June 5th into June 6th, and then again on June 11th into June 12th, and spent a total of $4,788. What in the motherfuck are you spending that kind of money on if she is not sitting on your fucking lap? Yeah. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> I, that is fucking ridiculous. Does somebody want to pay me to talk about poetry and camping? Because I'm down. I'll fucking talk. Uh, listen. I'll sit on your lap and talk. I'll fucking talk. sing it. I don't care. <laughs> but what the fuck? What, what did you spend your fucking money on? So that was where the whole, he spends $5,000 on strippers three days before the merge. He did, but he didn't He didn't touch a booby. She did. Like, right. You paid $4,000 to talk to some even... fucking broad? Dude, and not even touch a boo? Nothing. Nothing. Dude, I will come sit on your lap and fucking we can talk. But, babe, I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm telling you. It's, I just keep picturing you sitting on a guy's lap now <laughs> telling a story. God. Okay, so um, Vaughn had also gone to the Plainfield gun shop and shooting range um, twice. He had been there twice. The second time was the night before the murders. And when he was there, he was wearing the same jacket and jeans that he wore the day of the murders. Yeah. Um, which becomes relevant later because of gunshot residue. Ugh. Which the gunshot residue, they said, is 100% unreliable because it was Not such in, in, in close, the, con- like, That's exactly close what proximity. I was going to say. Yeah. You're in a fucking car. It so, is going to be right. everywhere. And it, we, as we have discovered later when I went down a rabbit hole about gunshot residue, you could be in a full-size room, full-size kitchen yeah, room. And still have And it still you. get it from somebody being shot across the room. Yeah. So, um. In the search of the Vaughn home, the police found a copy of P.I. Magazine, which is an actual magazine, by the way, with a cover story called, quote, Crime Scene Staging and Alterations, the CSI Effect on Criminal Investigations. The article talked about um, how to make murder look like a suicide. Now, they didn't find Chris's prints on the article Mm -hmm. to indicate that he read it. He said that he was too busy and he had not read it. Yeah. Um. The prosecution stated that Chris planned the impromptu trip the night before the murders, which he did around uh, 1030 to 11 o'clock the night before he planned this. Mm. So they didn't know about it. Yeah, see, that's Um, weird, too. And she didn't know about the... Now, the second honeymoon that he talked about in Missouri was booked. And she didn't know about that either. So on the way to the water park in Springfield, 
Now, this is a prosecution. But he had things booked in the future. Like, yeah, he had their second honeymoon weekend booked. Right. Right. So... I'm, this is, I'm telling you. Man, it goes back and so, forth. So, on the way to the water park in Springfield, Chris pulled the SUV over, got out, and went to the passenger side. He wrapped his jacket around the 9mm Taurus, shot Kimberly by pressing hard, that comes into play later, uh, the gun under her chin and firing, then leaning in over Kim's body and left shoulder to reach into the car and shoot the kids. No. Which is, fe- you, if you think about it, you could picture it. That's feasible. Yes. But my question is, are out of the blue, are, if I took out my gun, are you going to let me fucking, loaded or unloaded, if you think I'm joking around or what, are you going to let me put it under your fucking no. chin? No. No. Not a fucking chance. No. So, I, no. I don't know. That, that's my shtick. Okay, and... I don't know if I should say this for the first time on here, but I will. Um, three years ago? Yeah, you probably could have. Now? No. Oh, because I was in shape. No, um, I'm not talking about being in shape. I'm saying your Mental status? You did not have a fucking anoxic brain injury. Oh, uh, true. So. Yeah. Um, but without you being like, what the fuck are you doing? Oh, Get away, you know. Yeah. I was fucking stretch. throw punch you. Yeah, that's, yeah. What, that's what I'm saying. So, uh, yeah. So she's just going to let him <clears throat> fucking put a gun under her chin? Right. Right. Come on. Pressed hard under the chin. Yeah, come on. So, uh, ballistics expert Matthew Nordell testified the bullets that killed the two girls were fired from the left shoulder of the passenger seat. So just imagine leaning from the passenger seat, turning around with your right hand, going over your left shoulder. Um, He said that there was plenty of room for someone to reach over Kimberly's body in the passenger seat and fire the gun at the three kids, even inflicting the close-range GSWs found on the children's bodies. Sorry, gunshot wounds. Sorry, where's I have it? And is Chris righty or lefty? He's a righty. Okay. So after shooting Kim and the kids, Chris returned to the driver's seat, shot himself to make it appear as if Kim did it. He then dropped the gun at Kim's feet and unbuckled the seatbelt. Remember that. You remember that. Uh, There were up to 10 shots fired in the SUV. The prosecution called a bloodstain pattern analyst uh, by the name of Paul Kish to the stand to point out why Vaughn's story didn't match the blood evidence. Now this is where Tony is fucking smart as shit. But he, yeah, he's smart. Um, I'll let, yeah, I'll let you explain it because I, I'm not all for I'm it. explaining it like based off of... Everyone's blood should be fucking everywhere, everywhere. in that right, car. Right, right. So, so how, how there's few spots that? that they go off with the blood pattern. Um, but, it, so this is the thing with the blood pattern evidence. Now... Tony was like, no, if you do the fucking math about it, it's right. He's like, in a room, in a car, it's a totally different story because it's so enclosed. Um, if you look at the blood pattern one way, it shows he's guilty. If you look at it another way, it shows he's not guilty. So it's all interpretation because it was in such close quarters. Right. So he said that... Uh, not he being Tony? Paul Kish. Oh. Okay. Yeah, not Tony. Tony was actually demonstrating uh, blood spatter if he were to hit me in the head with a bat. Ah. So, yeah, which made sense. I mean, right. <laughs> so right. um, 
Kish was asked to study the Ford and other pieces of evidence in the case. He found Chris's blood near the front of the center console on the cover of one of Kimberly's books um, and on the floor between her feet and on her seatbelt. So the seatbelt is a big to-do. Uh, the seatbelt was fully retracted when the bodies were found. So she was not seatbelted in when they were found. Um, her blood also dripped onto the rear end of the center console. And the blood pattern suggested that somebody had made a wiping motion across the middle of the console from the driver's side towards the front of the passenger side. So imagine you're reaching over your left shoulder to shoot and you're pulling your arm back and you wipe and it down the center it. console. Yeah. Um, I've been having dreams about blood spatter, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so the blood spatter, uh, blood pattern suggested someone made a sweeping motion and he concluded that the only person that could do that would have been Chris. Um, he why? Said, why? Why not her? Well, the defense attorney gets up then. If she turns around. Right. The defense attorney gets up. Well, because she, she was shot first is what the prosecution is saying, which is why he's saying it couldn't have been her uh, because she was okay. shot. Okay. So now the defense attorney gets up and he says, okay, but couldn't Kimberly have been alive when this happened? And he concedes, yes, she could have been, but it doesn't make sense, was his only reply. So it could have happened. Um, George Leonard, who is the defense attorney, I haven't said his name yet, he made a brief and routine request for a direct uh, directed verdict stating the prosecution did not prove their case. It's very routine. The judge was like, no, whatever. Um After calling 80 witnesses over three weeks, the prosecution painted a picture of a man disinterested and fed up with his life as a suburban family man and private investigator of computer forensics who was spending thousands of dollars at strip clubs days before the murders. Again, without touching a booby. Yeah, but what guy doesn't want to go to a fucking strip club to... I don't understand. Honestly, I don't really understand why the strip club comes no, into play I mean, especially we because go to, we go to strip clubs right and we wouldn't spend five grand because we don't make fucking six figures a year right. but, but st- like, i mean i would let you married, touch a booby for five grand fuck dude married guys like I, I can't stand chicks like oh my god you can't look at porn you can't look at another girl dude it's natural instinct boobs like if girls are lying if they say that they don't uh, like if if a naked girl walks past you and you're a girl you're looking at her boobs yeah, and I'm in like you know what cracks me up like at when I used to go to the gym, and girls in the fucking tight fucking you want to be looked you, at. D- yeah. I shouldn't say and that because if I, if I was I caught staring or something or right. guy, you know they'd give you a mean look. dude. Fuck you, bitch. <laughs> you know exactly what the fuck you're doing. Yeah. So I the strip club thing. I I think more was made out of it than it was, but I. Th- think more was made out of it than it was because he didn't touch them. He didn't yeah, get lap dances. Which, which that is kind of weird. Like, and how shit-faced are you getting for five fucking grand? Right. You better find me a fancy glass for fucking five grand. Oh, shit. Um, pimp chalice. Uh, listen, right? So the prosecution then rested. Uh, the defense team, led by George Lennard, states that Kimberly was actually the shooter after becoming upset over an alleged affair and personality changes with increased mental illness due to new migraine medication. Uh, Chris told detectives his wife killed everyone and would have killed him too if he didn't escape, which pisses me off. 
Um, yeah. So this is where I get into my note. Yeah. So I asked Tony about it. And Tony's first thing, the first thing he said was, what father is going to leave his children in a car with somebody with a gun, regardless of who that person is? He said, I would put myself between her and my children before I would get out of the fucking car. That's when I was like, fuck, I would too. Yeah. He gets me there. Yeah. The only thing is, what if they're already dead? Well, and the dissociative amnesia. Yeah. He may not have known that she shot them when he got out of the car. Or he saw that they were already dead. Right. But that still gets me. Yeah. That's the it, thing. As soon as you you said that. if Because if, he, he, he points the that, gun at her, or she points the gun at him. As that was happening, I would be diving in the back seat to get I, in front of my too. children. Yeah, I would too. I, I don't know what other... So the, the minute he said that, I was like, ugh, yeah. fuck, Tony. So yeah, he was pretty proud of himself, but it, it's the truth. I mean, that's, that's a good one. Yeah. If it's if it's between me and my kids, it's my kids. But then again, going back to it, he froze the state of shock. He said and, his mind froze. And if you don't, I, I can't remember what fucking I did. Right. During that whole week. Right. I don't remember anything. Right. I don't remember what I said, mm-hmm. what I did, what I ate. And he's saying that he was shot first, which is a traumatic event. Yeah. So, again. So, it, it, it could go either yeah. way. That's Still can. Tough. Um, so, Rachel Vaughn, who is Chris's sister-in-law, uh, she was one of the first people to testify for the defense. She testified about a phone call with Kimberly on May 30th, two weeks before the murders. Uh, Kimberly had had a panic attack over internet service they were out on a jeep trip and she had a school assignment that was due and freaked out because she didn't have service um rachel says quote i think her words were she panicked and made a big scene and chris had to drive her to springfield to get service she was embarrassed by her reaction that she knew she overreacted and that she had been overreacting to small provocations and she was working on it with her doctor Rachel said Kimberly thought her blood pressure medication and her migraine medications might be the cause of her increased anxiety problems. She was consulting a different neurologist for an alternative um, migraine treatment. Um, When she started her online classes, like I said before, she started getting stress-induced headaches, which I get, and it looks like you're having a fucking stroke, and they're awful. So if a doctor hands you a bottle of pills, you're going to take them. So... She was given Topamax and Nortriptyline for the migraines and Avapro for her blood pressure. Her medical records were subpoenaed looking for behavior, quote, that may indicate suicidal or homicidal thoughts or impulses or relating to Kimberly's prescriptions for and utilization of the drugs referred to as Topamax, Avapro, and Nortriptyline. On May 24th, 2007, she wrote an email to Chris. So that he must have been out of town. That's what I'm assuming. Because I don't fucking email you. Um, She said that she had visited a new doctor, which is the osteopathic doctor, um, to discuss the side effects of her medication. She wrote the new doctor said, quote, stopping the migraine medication will also stop my anxiety. I told him that you had noticed and I had noticed a big personality change and anxiety change and that I was lethargic all the time. I hate the fucking word lethargic. Nobody knows how to use it. Right. Um. Now, on December 16th of 2008, we're going forward a little bit, 
the FDA released a report linking a statistically significant risk of suicide in patients taking Topamax. Approved by the FDA for epilepsy and seizures, Topamax has an off-label use for the treatment of migraines. According to the new medication guide published in May of 2009, the FDA required the manufacturer to insert into the product labeling new warnings informing patients and physicians the effects on thinking Topamax may cause depression or mood problems, tiredness, sleepiness, acting aggressive, being angry or violent, and acting on a dangerous impulse. Hmm. This caused the FDA to give this medication a black box label. No shit. Which means you, like, you got to really fucking think about prescribing this medication. And it's recorded by the FDA every wow. time it's prescribed. Um, I mean, it's kind of like some of the medication yeah. I'm on that the doctors yeah. don't, are so, even hesitant to... Uh, the doctor who originally prescribed the Topamax and the Neurotriptyline, which were prescribed at the same time, then testified that taking the medications together would definitely increase the risk of suicidal thoughts. Oof. Yeah. Um, Damn. And, and like Mark said earlier, we've seen it. Yeah. We've seen it. I've gone through From it. literally... From medication. Yeah. And we knew it was from medication. Yeah. And and Mark knew it was from medication, and he couldn't help it. No. Couldn't help it. I, I had no control over mm-hmm. my body. The things I were I, I was saying, literally, I told Jamie I was going to kill her, and she took me in. Mm-hmm. It, and then it, he told me in the to waiting go. room, I'm going to punch you. Well, this is after I laughed at you, so you, yeah. I, it's okay you would have punched me in the face. He, you stood up, and you're like, I'm going to go. wait, wait. The fuck you yeah, going? I can't even walk. But babe, like my body yeah. and my mind. But he, yeah. I had to get out of there. You looked at me and said, "I, I want to punch you right now," and um, I wanted you to punch me so they would take you in the back and tie you down, and I could go the fuck home. That's what I was afraid because of. I couldn't. Yeah, that's that's what I was afraid of, and that's what like I wasn't telling them all my feelings. I know you weren't because I knew they were going to mm-hmm. tie me down. I knew you weren't, which is why I was almost hoping you would punch me. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, you couldn't get that much momentum sitting in the chair. <laughs> and that fucking psychiatrist, I mean, she was no fucking help. None. Thanks to her, she completely fucked She's, me up. And yeah. When I was in the hospital, yeah. nowhere to be fucking found. So it, it does happen. I mean, yeah. these medications can, all it takes is one or two doses. And it was quick that it hit yeah. me. It was the, two or three doses. The first day I'm telling you, I feel fucking weird. Mm-hmm. I do mm-hmm. not feel like myself. Yep. The second day... I mean, my body is mm-hmm. just, I, I, I'm ready, like, I need to kill someone. Yep. Yeah. I need to fucking go out and fucking mm-hmm. murder someone. And that's, I mean, that's clearly not you. Everybody knows no, that. Right. Everybody that knows you knows that you're a giant fucking wiener. Right. You're not like that at all. You're a giant teddy but bear. But I, I so, couldn't help my thoughts. And it was so significant. Yeah. I mean, there was no middle ground. It was, you were good, and then you fucking weren't. Yeah, and I was crying. Yeah. I was fucking lashing out. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had to fucking hold me on the couch, mm-hmm. and, babe, it was bad. Yeah. I don't, oh, even, I don't even know yeah. why you're still with me. No, because it wasn't you. But, I, you know, it, it happens. It yeah. can, you know, uh, there are other family members that, have had this happen yeah it just it sends you into a tail my mom took fucking topamax and had to come off topamax because of suicidal ideations like it it fucking happens so that's why i i get tony's point of view and he's spot on with it but then now and we never talked about the medication part too and 
Tony saw me through your issues with the medication. Yeah. So he knows. Yeah. Him and him and Don, bless their hearts. You know, they they knew when to come in and they knew when to walk well, away. And then every day you're calling an ambulance. So for me. yeah. So I I mean yeah it's it happens. Um. So the defense also presented emails from Kimberly where she refers to herself as quote mommy monster. And an email from October of 2005 where she stated, quote, even though we are all human beings, we have a little bit of animal in us that can escape. Uh, The blood spatter presented by the defense seemed to tell a different story than the prosecution's. The prosecution claimed Chris shot himself, then unlatched Kimberly's seatbelt. However, the blood on the seatbelt and latch was actually Chris's blood which according to the defense means that Kimberly's belt was latched. So it was fully retracted when the police arrived on scene. When they pulled it back down and latched it back in, all this blood was by the... I'm making hand gestures like people can fucking yeah, see me. Right. <laughs> um, so all the blood was on the latch because that's where her chin was. Right. However, the blood was his. It wasn't hers. So he had already been shot by the time she... This is what the defense is saying, and this is his blood was first. Yeah. Her blood was dripped on top of his. So the defense is saying oh. that he was already shot yeah. prior to Kimberly unlatching the seatbelt herself yes, to he turn was, around and shoot man. the kids. Yes. Fuck now, this is a Yes. So um and they thought it was they thought it was Kimberly's blood because her chin was over there, but it was it was Chris's blood all over the latch with hers dripped on top of it. Um, There was also blood on Kimberly's thumb that they said was a transfer stain from unbuckling her own seatbelt after Chris had been shot. The blood on her hand was Chris's. Wow. Uh, There is a swipe mark on the latch, which corresponds with the transfer stain, obviously. The interpretation of the blood stains on Kimberly's lap and upper legs indicate that she was leaning over the gun when it was fired, and the gun markings show that the gun was not pressed into her chin, further suggesting suicide. It was placed under her chin, not forcibly pushed up into her chin. Still, I, I don't see her, her not putting up some kind of a fight. That's what they're saying. Because it, the the prosecution You're said that it was pressed her and... into her chin, like like he grabbed the back of her head and like right. pressed it into her chin. The markings on her show that it was placed against her chin. Yeah. I, so, man, this um, is tough. Now they retained ballistics expert Lucian Hag. Uh, during his inspection of the family vehicle, he attached a laser to the end of the dowel rod and was able, with the tip of his finger, and there's a picture of this to demonstrate that the shot that struck Cassandra had been fired from the passenger seat. So he's sitting in the passenger seat, and he turns as if he was her to shoot, and the laser hits his fucking fingertip. It's, like, spot on. Man. So, so even more showing yeah. mm-hmm. it was her. Um, Chris also claimed that, and this is just a side note, that he had told Kimberly he had an affair in Mexico um, in 06, and she was super pissed about it and concerned about getting AIDS. There's no proof he had the affair. There's no proof that she mentioned anything about but the disease here, or having here's it. Just, here's the thing, too. Like, you could be a scumbag. And not a murderer. And not a murderer. Scott Peterson. Yeah. 
I, I, I'm just, just saying. saying. Yeah. Most guys, yeah, we're scumbags. Now, they but it doesn't mean we're a fucking murderer. They speculate that he made up the affair so she would leave him so he wouldn't have to be the one to go. Which is feasible, too. Right, right. And it was an affair supposedly in Mexico. So, obviously, there's... Can't prove that shit. Right. Um, so, the defense Who's is... the chick? Fucking senorita. Right. Uh, the defense's last argument was that... Oh, side note. So, you're going to bang abroad in Mexico, but you're going to pay five grand at a strip club to and not, even not touch, touch a, a boob? boob? Like, I don't... Man, yeah. that bothers me. That's, That's so, so weird. Yeah. That's weird, but babe. It, I know. I'm what, I'm agreeing you, with you. What would you do? Hey, babe, I'm going to go to the nudie club, but I just want to talk. <laughs> I, there's so many inappropriate things I could say right now that I'm not going to. But so you, I, I just, so you supposedly go outside of your marriage and bang a chick in Mexico. Right. But you go to a strip club to talk about camping. Yeah. But, what? I feel like if you pay a stripper four or five grand, you're going to bang them. I mean, I would. Or at least get a blowy in the back or something. For that much fucking money? Yeah. I mean, what? But no, let's just talk. I don't. I mean, good for her. (laughs) I'd be like, I love camping. Yeah. Let's go camping tomorrow. Fuck yeah, dude. What color is your tent? Can we get a red one? What (laughs) kind of hiking boots do you have? I just. I don't, none of this makes fucking sense to me. No, this whole case is just. Right. So um, the defense's last argument was that Christopher was a, quote, quirky, eccentric dreamer, which made him vulnerable to suspicion and aggressive police tactics. Mm. Um, Chris declined to testify and the defense rested. Chris Vaughn was convicted of first degree murder, one count for his wife and one for each child on September 21st, 2012. The jury deliberated for less than an hour. The jury foreman, Dan Lachey, said the, quote, totality of the evidence convinced him and the other jurors that Vaughn's story just didn't add up. Quote, if you watched him through the trial just like we did and you saw the evidence just like we did, I think you'd come to the same conclusion that we did. He also said that the jurors never really considered the defense's theory about Kimberly Vaughn shooting herself and that the jurors believed that Vaughn's odd and inappropriate demeanor strongly suggested he killed his family. Wow. Um, On November 27th, 2012, Christopher Vaughn was sentenced to four life terms. Chris immediately filed an appeal post-conviction stating prosecutorial, I practicing that word, uh, misconduct by improperly urging the jury to find the defendant's lack of emotion, evidence of his guilt, and accusing defense counsel of fabricating a defense. So it says in the, um, not docket, the transcript, Transcript. that in the uh, prosecution's closing statement, they bring up his behavior. In yeah. the interviews, and right. that's what Chris is saying. You you can't you can't fucking do that. No, you know. Um, the defendant further contends that his right to an impartial jury was violated, where it is clear that the jury improperly considered the defendant's demeanor during his interrogation and trial as evidence of his guilt. Mm. His appeal was denied. Wow. Um, now. There's not a current appeal going on. However, the most recent update is from September 7th of this year. So, yeah. like, 
a week ago. Yeah. Um, after the Murder in Illinois podcast came out, Chris's case came back into the public. Yeah. So according to Channel 7 ABC, uh, they reported that an attorney for Vaughn, a new attorney, said his team is, quote, pursuing a number of avenues towards his innocence, and they plan on asking J.B. Pritzker for clemency. Wow. So they're not even going for an appeal. They're going to flat out ask the governor to to be like, let him out. Wow. So he's been in prison for nine years. And I don't know how I feel about it because I don't know. I still don't know how I feel about it. I'm still, I'm, my honest opinion is because I've gone through most of like the medication and the amnesia. Mm -hmm. I'm leaning more towards her, but Mm -hmm. I'm not a definite. I'm not either. I'm not either. Because, I mean, he he wanted to leave his family. He admitted that. The defense admitted that. But he also said that he was going to fake his own death so they would be taken care of. And that's just, his emails were fucking weird. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, God. I mean, that's weird. And then going to the strip club and just talking is weird. So maybe he's just a weird guy. I was going to say, maybe he's just a weird dude. Yeah. And they say with suicide... The decision to kill yourself is generally made within the five minutes beforehand. Yeah, I can believe that. So, I mean, it could have split split second decision. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's statistically, that's what they say. It's five minutes prior to the actual, yeah. you know. Um, and, Ooh. you know, people are like, well, Kimberly didn't know how to shoot. But she did. She did. She, she practiced. Did. Right. Um, she said she was a bad shot, but you're a foot away. It, you still know how to pull a trigger. You're a foot away. Yeah. Yeah. She had some kind of practice, so even if you're a bad shot, you still know how to fucking shoot, right. aim and shoot. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm still, like, 100%, I would jump in front of, I mean, we'll use you as an example. Uh, like, if, if you pull out a gun, I'm jumping in front of the kids. Yeah. That's what and I'm going to do. I would do, t- I, I would do the so, same. What the fuck are you to doing? To say and that I, you, I'm, like, deflected a bullet and then, like, fucking ninja rolled out of the car to go get help. Like, that, I don't, I, as a mother. I don't understand. I don't understand that. Yeah. As somebody in the medical field who has seen dissociative amnesia, I understand that. Yeah. That's the fucking problem. Yeah. And as somebody in the medical field, I've seen medication issues and home, being a wife, I've seen medication issues. And if you haven't seen it, I, I understand how you could just kind of brush it off. It's like, oh, yeah. nah, it can't be that fucking bad. And like I said, if I hadn't gone through all my events, yeah. I pr- my opinion would probably be totally different. Right. Right. He fucking did it. Mm-hmm. What Are you kidding mm-hmm. me? You know, and then so the blood spatter, obviously, the interpretation can be any which way, but you cannot fake DNA. Right. His blood was on the latch and hers had dripped on top of it. Yeah. And that's I'd, that's, that's I that's hard. That's I, tough. I don't know. That's tough. I don't know. This one, I have slept probably three hours in the last week because I. I was getting pissed. Yeah. I, I needed to find an answer, and I couldn't fucking find an answer, and I'm pissed about that still. Yeah, this one's tough. So. 
Ooh, yeah. This was a good one. Thank you for doing it for me. You're very welcome. And I hope people don't don't think I'm like a nut, but I I try to be as real as possible. You're not and, a nut. And bring in real, you know, real but that's life the thing. events that I well. Gone and here's through. the thing: if we're explaining to people who you know a, a lay person, this is what medication side effects can do to you. Right. I, uh, the normal like commercials, like oh. You could get diarrhea and blah blah blah, blah, blah. but right. like those when medications they say, I did, right? I, I had every but fucking when they side say, effect. You know, you could have suicidal, homicidal ideations. It can increase your depression yeah. unless you've seen it. You you don't you really don't understand it because it's not a slight increase. No, it's, it's immediate. You're good, and then you're, you're fucking, fucking not. not. Like, like like me, I was good that first day. I I felt a little mm-hmm, weird, and then mm-hmm. I fucking snapped. And I was not good. Like, I moved the guns. I know you did. So, if you haven't seen it, you don't get it. So, I think you bringing in... I mean, that was the whole point of us doing this podcast, was to give a different view. So, for you to be able to go, listen, not only have I seen it, I have fucking experienced it. And this is how horrible it could actually be. I just don't want people to think I'm a nut. You're not a nut. I do have mental issues now. With the anoxic brain injury, right, you right. know, I've been in a coma, I've coded, yeah, you know, so I've, I've been through a lot. Right. So. And and mental health, like we've talked about before, mental health is, is just as important and yeah, as significant I, I as physical health. So it, it's no different than, than having the flu. Right. But for you to be able to say. And now I understand that. Right. Before I, I didn't. But now going through it. And there's still days where I have to explain that to I know, you. But, I know. you know, you being able to God give firsthand you, I... knowledge of it, it's it's a huge deal. Because you get, like, Lola. She's not in the medical field. Right. She she probably won't know how bad a, a medication interaction could be. Right. You know what I mean? So you firsthand knowledge of it, you can explain it. Because reading this, you're like, Come the fuck on. Like, yeah. she's taking a pill and all of a sudden she shoots her fucking kids. Right. Most people are like, whatever. And you and, and I are I like, thought. you and I are like, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I that's, mean, that's why, like, I totally get where Tony's coming from. And right. I, he brings up excellent points, but at the same time. So, and I, here's the other thing. I'm going to, I apologize if this offends you. Um, the first time. You went in. You woke up screaming. Leah came downstairs. You didn't know who the fuck she was. You didn't know who Jax was. Jax was standing in the corner crying. And you kept asking Leah, who the fuck is that kid crying? Why is he crying? So what if she did that? What if she had an episode and didn't know who her fucking kids were? Yeah. Yeah. It can happen. So it's just, I guess it's a different perspective if you've, if you've been through it. So it is, it totally is. I'm still a hundred percent fucking torn because he had a plan. Yeah. He had, he had a good plan. So why would he? He had events planned ahead. Right. But he, he had a plan to leave. Like he had an exit plan. Yeah. That was effective. It, It would have worked. So why kill him? Right. You know, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. 
This one, I... And he he doesn't strike me as the type of guy who's like, well, I'll get away with it because I'm fucking smarter than you. Right. He could He could be. You never know. But the other thing, too, that I brought up to Tony, so all these emails and shit, um, it, it, the guy's, he specializes in computer forensics. So why wouldn't he fucking why hide wouldn't he it? Why wouldn't he delete it? Yeah. It was apparently encrypted, but like a, a five-year-old could get to it. So it wasn't like encrypted much. Right. But you would think that Okay, so he's planning this trip the night before to fucking shoot them. Why wouldn't you delete everything while you're on the computer booking the trip? Right. So, yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, this one, I'm torn. Yeah. I don't have a... I don't know. So, I hope you guys enjoyed this one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm assuming you guys are probably torn. You Maybe you, you think what you think. But... Jamie and I, 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 I think uh, we're, we're both torn on this one. I'm, I'm, yeah, <clears throat> I'm very torn. But thank you for doing it because I, I really wanted to do it because I don't think it got, it, it didn't get the attention it, that it should have. It because, didn't, and it's because of the Drew Peterson case right. going on at the same time. And it, it, and is, I just found it ironic that it was Glasgow again, yes. the same county, and the way the that he courthouse. spoke. Oh, oh my I, god, I, I, I can't listen to that guy. I, he he if was you guys, talking about. If you're out of state, like Google James Glasgow. James Glasgow, he's the state's attorney for Will County. Just a, a media. Well, whore. he went on this fucking rant after he got found guilty and was like, "He's he's a psychopath and he's a sociopath and that's why they convicted him." And the jury foreman was like, "I don't even know what a sociopath is." So, <laughs> and then if we do the honeybee. B killer case which is another local case which is phenomenal it's another glasgow case and he completely and another robert deal case yes and he completely a lot went on in will county Mm -hmm. in a short period of time Mm -hmm. by us yep so i i know a lot of you guys are out of state and these are local illinois cases but they're good fucking cases there was these three fucking cases happen all around the same time. Yeah, they did. Fu- it, it was all the same time. And it was fucked up here for yep. a while. Yeah. So Drew Peterson obviously ended up going to jail. Yeah. Um, Chris Vaughn is in jail. Chris Stebick was never charged with anything. And Lisa Stebick has never been found. Yeah. So. And then we'll we'll get into the honeybee killer. We'll, we'll definitely I'll do, do that. Yeah. I'll we'll do it. We'll definitely do that one. Because that, that ending was very trippy. Yeah. Very it, trippy. It, yeah. I don't, I don't know. And plus, it involved an officer that we work with. Yeah, that we both know. Yeah. So. So. Now, the six degrees of separation, like I was saying. So, the next case that I'm working on, I was looking at pictures. Mm-hmm. And in the picture in the corner is the People magazine with Kaylee Anthony on the cover. Oh, is it really? <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> I'm looking for a foot and I find a fucking magazine in right, the corner right. of the picture. So, yeah. yeah. Well, we're at two hours now and I know Jax is getting antsy. So, um, let the people know where they could find us. Why do you, why do you do that to me all the time? And then I like stutter because I, because uh, I can't remember. Apparently right? fucking forget. Um, okay. So Twitter, uh, DDUP podcast. Our Gmail is dduppodcast.1 at gmail.com. Instagram is ddup underscore podcast. Uh, Patreon is patreon.com forward slash death to us part one. What am I missing? The number one. The number one. Um, uh, Facebook. Facebook. Uh, we're under Jam Cash and death to us part. Yeah. 
Um, I update Instagram and Facebook almost daily. You could message me. It's me that you're messaging. The email, if you email, you're getting me. Yeah, if if you email, you're getting Jamie. If you send, like, a personal message, it's me. Yeah. Um, But, um, oh, and then I forgot. Um, Someone brought up, she, on Facebook, she brought up a a good t-shirt thing. Like, my face and saying, here we go. Are we really going to put your fucking face on a t-shirt? I haven't said that in so long. Here's the Once we started getting music, I stopped Yeah, we talked about that the other day. Should I bring it back? I mean, if you want to. Like, after the music? The thing that frightens me is the amount of people that want a fucking t-shirt with your face on it. I know. Thank you, people. Oh, my God. I fucking rule. Well, now after this episode, they think I'm a fucking... I don't even want a fucking t-shirt with your face on it. So please wear I'm just it. saying I no I don't even want a fucking t-shirt like that I I don't oh my god I, I can just imagine like fucking Erica walking into work one day and your fucking face is like boom right in her chest I just I I would never want to be on a t-shirt that's horrifying because I want it so and, <laughs> Can you imagine us calling Candace? So listen, yeah. <laughs> we got this idea. Right. Oh, my God. Uh, all right. Well, we definitely hope you enjoyed this one. I know it's a little bit longer. We're at like two hours. We talked a lot, though. But I mean, it's it was good. I think we it was hit good the point of though. our podcast. The point yeah. of starting this was to give a different perspective, a perspective of somebody in the medical field and somebody in law enforcement. And I think we, this one is probably the one where we were able to point it out the most. Yeah. I mean, that other podcast, no offense to her, you know, it was very one-sided. It was very one-sided. It was eight episodes, which 30 minutes long, eight episodes. Yeah. Like, okay. But like she, no offense, but she was like an actress or an actor or something. Yeah. Like she had nothing to do with being in this field. No. And if you're going to talk about a case like this, I think. Yeah. You, you got to hit all the points. And it, it. So. She didn't. And then the other podcast, um, uh, it's Court Junkie, I believe. Um, she She tried to stay neutral. But then she didn't. Yeah. You know, she she was neutral in the beginning, but then she was like, yeah, he's a dick. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So, I don't know. No, I, I think something like this, you, you have to stay neutral. You you have to prove both points. And, right. And know, I that's what I tried and, to do. I hope I was able to. No, I think you did. And I think, like, I, I try to bring up personal experiences. Which to, is huge, because it makes a difference, like I said. Yeah. It, it makes a huge difference. So, so, and people that know you that listen to this, they know the yeah. struggles that, and like I said, Tony and, and Don have seen it firsthand. They've seen me firsthand. Right. So, you know. Yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. You're very but, honest and you're very open. And I think that could make a huge difference in the way that people think. Yeah. But it's I, a, that's what I'm trying. Right. It, showing that mental illness is the same thing as a physical illness I think is is huge yeah so but I don't know what I I would do without you mama I just want to tell you that oh I love you I'm still not wearing a t-shirt with her fucking face on it I love you baby mama oh my god (laughs) 
All right, guys. Uh, hope you look enjoyed at Jax. This. He's like well, Jax. By the way, has AirPods in. He did <laughs> yeah. not hear any of this. He has noise oh, yeah. canceling AirPods in. Yeah, I would he not can't hear shit. Yeah. So. Um. So next time is. I'm gonna try and get the next one out. Like I want to record it by Sunday. Okay. But then we'll do a Patreon next week. Okay. Sounds good. So. All right, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this, and we will be talking to you soon. Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.